dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Many Christians today feel intimidated. The culture around us is shifting, and ideas and notions foreign to the Bible are gaining a cultural foothold. Many today feel a sense of loss or hopelessness in front of the situation. But is today's situation for a Christian that much different from the one that was confronted by the first apostles? Was the world of St. Paul that much different from today's world? Where did St. Paul gain his strength? What allowed him to lead? In this new series, we explore his soul and the source of his leadership in Christ. Well, I want to first of all start by just thanking you for coming and and being a part of this uh, new adventure we're doing, right? What we want to try to do at the St. John Leadership Network is give people a perspective that allows you to lead where you are. And to not be intimidated or afraid either by things that are on the outside that you can't control or by all of the inner demons that we have on the inside. And frankly, those ones on the inside are much more powerful than the ones on the outside. I think a lot of times today, people, we focus in on all the different situations and problems in our lives as if those problems were the problem. But remember this, having problems is not a problem. Having problems with having problems, that's the problem. Okay, (laughs) the real situation is that we are struggling to cope and to rise up and meet the challenges that are in front of us. And that's where Christ comes in. The Lord isn't going to necessarily take away the problems on the outside. Sometimes he does, right? We think about the wedding feast at Cana. They have no wine. Boom, in walks Jesus and he makes wine. Okay, so that was a big day. He solved the external problem these people had. They had to confront that, right? So you could have the same thing. We, we, you know, someone in our family is misbehaving. We're going to pray for their conversion. And then voila, they get converted. That's, wow, that's just a terrific thing. But I want to address the times when that doesn't happen. When in fact you pray for something to, to, to change and nothing apparently changes. Or when you need a type of miracle on the outside and none comes. What happens then? Well, most people at that moment fold back into themselves, they withdraw and they retreat. Many either then into a life of bitterness or into a life of complaint or into a life of fear, craven fear. They just, you know, marry into this notion that, you know, defeat is imminent and there's nothing else that they can do. There's all kinds of excuses that we have for defeat. And I don't want to really address those because for as you know, tempting as it is, it's also a waste of time. You can have any excuse that you want, but when you've given up on love and you've accepted that something in life is bigger than God, bigger than love, well, then you've surrendered the ground that you were supposed to take. God didn't give you the position that he did in society, in your marriage, in your family, in order for you to then say that something out there was bigger than him, more powerful than him, and that there was nothing you could do but lose that ground. 
Now, there's defeat that really happens in our life, but that defeat is never on the inside. It might be on the outside, but it's never on the inside. And culture is generated from the inside out. It's one of the biggest mistakes that we make today as Christians is we think that somehow there's going to be a new program, a new political leader, a new economic force that's going to come in and solve all of our problems. And I'd like to say, no, those economic forces and whatever solution you have in, in terms of law or system or process in society, all those things are empty and they could turn on a dime and even be used against you unless they're filled from the inside with human beings with a moral compass and character that is equivalent to the nobility that these different systems try to postulate. In other words, you can't just say that a lifeboat is going to save us. A lifeboat sailed by a captain. Ah, that will save us. Okay, so we're on the outside looking for all kinds of things, food, bread, social welfare systems, family law that protects the family, all those things. They're very important. Right? All I'm simply saying is that it doesn't suffice without leaders who are capable of doing what is right with them and, and leading those systems correctly. Otherwise, the, everything falls back into corruption, not because of a lack of resources, but because of a lack of character from the inside and true and genuine leadership. And of course, this is what God knows, which is why God puts Christians into the world. He adds Christians to the world so that Christians lead the world, right? And yet many of us, we end up sitting on the back seat, looking around saying, oh no, everybody else is leading the world. Oh, what's on television these days? Oh, what's on the radio these days? Oh, what's going on in our schools these days? Oh, look what's happening, you know, in Washington. And we point fingers and we lament and we sob and we act like those things, because they exist in a state that we don't prefer, are somehow determining what happens inside of us. And that's just the opposite from the plan of Christ. What Christ wants us to do is to accept him into our hearts on the inside so that we then take him from the inside to the outside and we establish things and we build this regardless of whatever forces are in front of us, right? He's bigger. The one that is in you is bigger than the one that is in the world, right? St. John. Or in the words of our Lord himself, in the world you will have trouble, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Or in St. Paul, where he says, neither life nor death nor any other thing will separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you read the Bible, you realize that God talks a big game. <laughs> and Christians are called to, to talk a big game and to walk it as well, and to put that into practice. But what has to happen is inside of us, we need to regain the sense of the power of truth and the sense of the power of the truth of the gospel that is behind us. And you know what? This is exactly what St. Paul did. This is what made St. Paul so extraordinary and why we need another St. Paul today. So what I want to do with this course is I want to actually give you insights into who St. Paul was as a leader in his context that will directly apply to you in your context, in your family, in your marriage, in your workplace, everywhere that you are. I want to see that same spirit that was in St. Paul. And I want to show you how you can access the same spirit and how God wants to accomplish his will through you 
just like he accomplished it through St. Paul. And we're going to do that, right? But like fundamentally, the question is whether or not you're willing, right? Because are you willing to believe in the resurrection? Are you willing to believe that Jesus Christ is truly in charge of this world? And foundationally, this is, you can't do Christian leadership without being a Christian. (laughs) And being a Christian means opening yourself beyond what you see and beyond what you feel and beyond the judgment of this world to the truth of God's holy word and his proposition to you that he is in charge of the world and that he's going to work it all out for his good and he wants to do it through you, right? But without hope, without that foundational faith and optimism, right, that comes from the gospel, well, you're not going to do anything. So you got to ask yourself really foundationally at the beginning of this whole journey, whether or not you're willing to be another St. Paul, whether or not you're willing to set the world on fire for Jesus Christ, or whether or not you'd prefer to stay in the darkness. When you look at the Bible, the numbers are overwhelming. Most people would prefer to stay comfortable in a system of of injustice than to step out boldly and to risk the discomfort of leadership in order to bring a better world. That most people simply don't want to do it. And and, and there I can't do anything except encourage you to discover the deep love of Jesus Christ for you. A love that transcends the world and that allows all the comforts of the world well, to actually become discomforts in the presence of the divine consolation that comes from his love. And when you discover that love, you'll discover your own. That's what's so powerful about the love of Christ is that when we receive it into our hearts, we discover our hearts in their truth. You don't really know yourself, in other words, until you love yourself like Jesus loves you. (laughs) And when you do, there's no mountain that's too high and there's no ocean that's too broad and there's no dragon in front of you that's stronger than the Spirit of God that's within you. And instead of just reading about St. Paul, you become another one in our world today. And that's exactly what God wants to do, to raise up saints to lead. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So when I look at the life of St. Paul, you know, one of the very first things that comes to, to mind for anybody who really analyzes the, his writings and his life is just how much this man accomplished with so little. I mean, it really is astounding. We all know he did three missionary journeys, you know, and he went, we all can look at the map and to see all the places that he went. And it's important to do so because it really puts things in perspective for you. I mean, his life was one of constant motion, constant activity, constant hostility against him, constant seeming defeat, And then at the same time, small victories and small victories in deep relationships. And then a never ending quest to make the Lord known. And and one thing that really impresses a person when he looks at St. Paul is just the breadth of things. When you look at all the countries that he visited, 
You know, and, and if the countries weren't just the modern countries of today, like say Turkey, for example, well, no, there were a lot of small little regions in Turkey. There were so many different languages, customs. When you just think about what, where St. Paul was able to speak, he was able to speak in Greek. He was able to converse in Latin. He was able to converse in Hebrew, right? He was speaking and reading in at least those three languages, let alone then all of the pagan languages or the smaller dialects that were part of the Roman Empire. When you remember that every single region had its own way of thinking and its own way of living, its own set of cultural norms, St. Paul had to constantly shift, open his mind to new things, be able to, to engage that with intelligence so as to bring that culture to the Lord. And of course, it's not just cultures, but then it's personalities. He was talking with poor people. He was talking with slave girls. And then, of course, the wealthiest women of his day. We think of Lydia, the dealer in purple cloth, right? Well, purple cloth would be equivalent to today's diamonds, right? So this is a woman who possesses an immense amount of power and resource. And yet he talks to Lydia in the same city where he releases a slave girl who's bound by three different forms of slavery from demonic possession, right? And he's talking to them both. He's interacting with pagans of his day and with the devout Jews of his day. Look at the, the, the disparity that's there. He's talking with people who are only involved with money and then other people who are only involved with spirituality. In the letter to the Hebrews, he says, look, I've been hungry and I've also gone with tons of food. I've been with the wealthy. I've been with the poor. I've had cold and I've had heat. I've had all of the extremes given to me in my life. And I, in all of these things, I have found the one constancy, which is the Lord. When you think about it, where were St. Paul's guideposts, right? If you go, well, he was a Jew. Well, he, he was a Jew. Yes, he was. He had all that wonderful teaching from the Old Testament. And yet he was looking towards its fulfillment, which means he was going beyond what he had known or been taught from that perspective. And they say, well, he was a Christian, a member of the church. Well, he was kind of one of the founders of the church, okay? <laughs> I mean, like, we understand, like, the, you know, the first apostles and Peter always had primacy, but, like, they didn't have all these things figured out. They were walking in the Spirit in a way that was brand new, in a world that was brand new. So he couldn't look backwards and say, well, according to Christian tradition, this is what we do. He was at the origins of Christian tradition. And what's more, he's going towards a whole people who are new. No one had gone directly towards the pagans before him. I mean, we knew that St. Peter converted the very first pagan, but no one had gone towards them as directly and as munificently as St. Paul had done. But you see, when you think of it, that opens a whole nother can of worms. How do you do that? Do you start by speaking directly to the pagans or do you speak to the Jews first in the synagogue? When you're with the Jews in the synagogue, do you let them then introduce you to the city? What if they don't? Uh, what if the Jews in the synagogue don't accept you? What happens if you, you know, there's a whole list of things that St. Paul had to go without to figure out as he was out there. And, and then when you look at the culture that was surrounding him, this wasn't exactly a culture that was open to new ideas. Look at the way they treated him in Athens, for example, where he goes and, and they say, hey, St. Paul, tell us what you believe. He tells them what they believe and they scoff at him. They literally scoff at him. They say, you know, we'll hear you about this on another day, right? So much for being open-minded, you know. <laughs> and those are the, that, that's the open-minded city of Athens. You can imagine what would happen when they're closed-minded. And then to top it all off, 
St. Paul has a past. He had persecuted the church of God and he had persecuted it unto death. Now, we don't know if he actually you know, was guilty of killing anyone. He doesn't say that directly, but it does say in the scriptures that he was breathing murderous threats, right, against the church of God. And even Jesus comes and asks him, why are you persecuting me? Right? So St. Paul has, I mean, when you meet the Lord and he says, why are you sinning? You know, this, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's quite a moment in his life. You know, can you imagine you finally see Jesus and he says, so why did you drink all that orange juice in college? Right? You, you know, or, or why didn't you pay your taxes? Then suddenly you realize that you, you had an exam to pass and you failed it. What do you do then, right? Like, and what does St. Paul do then? What, how do you cope with the fact that you, you feel guilty? You feel ashamed of your own past. Three different times in the Paul's letters, he, he actually confesses, makes a step of confession. I did this. I, I did something I feel guilty for. And, and each time, you know, he goes back to say, and yet the Lord stands by me. I stand not on my own righteousness, but in his grace. And he gives us such an example of that. And because there are many of you who feel like you, because of what you've done in the past, you're disqualified from daring great things in the future. And it's because deep down inside, we don't want to be hypocrites. We say to ourselves, who am I? Who am I to try to do something amazing? Who am I to try to love when everybody knows? The one law that we all ascribe to today is that we're not going to be hypocrites. It's, it really cracks me up. We can be all kinds of bad in our life. We can even celebrate being bad in our culture today. But the one thing that Christians and secular people all agree to is hypocrisy is the worst of all things. <laughs> and so because of that, we're like, well, once I've done something bad, I mean, I basically toast. Like I can't do anything good. I don't have the right to stand and talk about God when everybody knows the bad things that I've done. And now imagine this, that might be true. Look at that. Okay, fine. Now look at St. Paul. Is that what he did? Could you imagine if Jesus then said, go to the very same people that you sinned against and start telling them the true way to live? Can you imagine? And St. Paul did it. The humility that that represented and the desire to please the Lord that that represented, it just, it just takes our breath away. So I guess what I'm saying with all this is, hey, look, what exactly is the difference between you and St. Paul? What's the difference between your life right now and the life that St. Paul was living? If St. Paul could face all that opposition and all those forms of opposition and still persevere in leading in Christ's name, well, why can't you? Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network, where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. When we think about leadership today, I think a lot of us, uh, we have a notion of it that says, okay, leadership is for people who are in charge. I'm not in charge, therefore I'm not leading. And I say, okay, there's a point to that that's correct, but there's also something that's incorrect. What's correct is that those are leading who are in charge. But I want to point out the fact that in this very true sense, all of us are always in charge. In a way, right? Like we're always, if, let's suppose you're in a conversation and someone else is speaking. They can only speak in an effective way if someone else listens. 
So one is in charge of speaking and one is in charge of listening. Right? If, if you're in a, in a party, yes, the organizer of the party is in charge. They decided what food was where and what music was being played and what the decorations would be. And yet a party isn't a party unless people are celebrating. And you can't really have a party that's effective unless you have people who are willing to come and celebrate. So then who's really in charge? Well, everyone is in charge of their domain. In, in, in a way that we present ourselves, the way that we interact with each other, wherever we act, we are in charge of our action. Right? And since we're then called by God to act all the time that we're awake anyway, you know, to do things constantly from smiling to listening to changing diapers to founding businesses to selling things to hiring to expanding to doing everything that we're supposed to do. Since we're always acting, well, then we're always in charge. So the question that I have is, are you really in charge? Are, are you free enough to dictate and direct what's going on around you towards an impact that you want to see made? Now, and you can expand that, of course, and to say towards the impact that God wants to see made through you. Are, are, you know, are, are you really in charge? Or is someone else always living inside of your brain telling you you're no good, telling you you're not going to succeed, telling you all the reasons why you shouldn't try to dare great things, right? You shouldn't really try to live your life out loud because X, Y, or Z. Well, and a lot of us got to admit it, that, that is how we're living. We're not in charge. We're letting situations in our life dictate to us how to fill our spirit you know from from the social pressures on the outside to what people will think about us if this happens you know to go around the voices that are inside of your head and ask them if it's not the voice of the holy spirit then whose is it because where the holy spirit is there's freedom and what i mean by freedom is not just that you do anything that you feel like doing it means that you do what you want to do deep down inside you put your love into action. That's freedom. And when your love, not just love generically, but your love, your identity, your name gets put on your actions, your actions, ha, ah, they become a gift from God. Foundationally, there's a beautiful truth in Christianity that brings who we are and who God is together. He writes his history through your sanctity. And that doesn't mean that you disappear. It actually means that he summons you to giving everything you've got at his service. I mean, we see this in the conversion of St. Paul, right? Here's St. Paul, and, he, and he's got his whole life perspective in front of him, but he's wrong. And when God converts him along the way, he calls him by name, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And then later on, when he's laying on his, on his bed there, you know, and he can't see, and he's neither eating nor drinking, and Ananias comes to St. Paul to lay hands on him and baptize him, Ananias argued with the Lord, saying, I can't baptize this guy because he's the one who persecuted the Jews. And the Lord says, he is a chosen vessel of mine. And it's a key word, right? In Greek, it means he's an instrument that I'm going to use. Well, what does that mean, he's an instrument? That means that, listen, every one of our talents, our backgrounds, our personalities, God wants. 
He doesn't want you know our sinfulness, so to speak, and that you know, but but he wants our greatness. And we discover our greatness when we discover our love. Love is like a fire inside that reveals the depths of a person. And when you find love, well, you find not only your purpose in life, but you also find who you are. This is what's so amazing about being a Christian is that every Christian realizes that they have a name that was given to them by God. And that when you realize your name has been given to you by God, you realize that your life is a gift. And when someone realizes that their life is a gift to be given away, well, they start to lead, right? Instead of me saying, well, you know, I don't know. What's on the outside of me is determining what's on the inside of me. And then when my inside is cowering in front of the outside, my, I just become a part of whatever's on the outside of me. I follow whatever situation, whatever circumstances are pressuring me because I believe that that's bigger than what's within me. That's not a Christian way. That's not the way St. Paul tells us to live, shows us to live. St. Paul looks at a whole world outside of him. We already talked about this. That's full of opposition, full of difficulty, full of challenge, and he rises to meet it. Now, why does he do that? Because he's in love. He discovers the love of God for him, and he decides to love him back. And that means that suddenly his name gets attached to everything that this person's doing, that he's doing. And he becomes creative. You know, he becomes clear. He becomes courageous. He becomes perseverant. You know, St. Paul becomes a leader wherever he is. Now, what would your life like if, be like if it was the same? What, what, what do you have to lose? I mean, like when you look, most people today are not happy. If I were to take a poll and say, are you living the life that you really wanted to live? I mean, most people would say no. And I look at that and I say, well, then what, what are you doing? What are you going to change now so that your next 10 years are not like your past 10 years? Are you going to change anything? Right? And, and immediately the response will come back, well, I can't because, boom. I can't because, boom. And I like to say all of those things, that you, all of your becauses, whatever they are, can be changed if your heart on the inside becomes free. And that, my friends, is the glorious power of the Christian. Because God comes to change the world by setting people free to change it in his name. And that freedom of heart on the inside is so captivating because it becomes the renewal of a civilization. Culture is changed by its members. The church is renewed by her saints, which means your world will be transformed the minute that you are. This is the big message of St. Paul. God raises up saints to lead. Raised up St. Paul, and he's raising up you. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.